There's a light glug 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 noise going on. What do you got? What are you drinking today? It's a Hefeweizen, my favorite beer to say, Hefeweizen by Two Roads. Cool. I've got a I've got a Prost, which is a Kulsch, Kuhn style classic ale. So it's, it's pretty yummy, actually. This one's a little light, but you know it's good. And I had these fun little tankards to drink out of. We just got. Um, What's the brand of summer shandy? The little like kind of lemony beers. Leinenkugel? Is that what it's called? That sounds like a bunch of big cats. Uh, yeah, a lion and a kugel. And a that kugel, would be, you know, a kugel. Yeah, a kugel. How is that pronounced? Is it kugel? Sure. It's kugel. we just say whatever. I don't know. Um. So, uh, welcome to the okay. very first episode of. Uh, uh, the, the Star Wars, it's called the Star Wars yeah. Hour. It's where we, we spend one hour talking about... But it's uh, ironic because it's four hours of Star Wars talk. Yeah, it's four hours, but we talk for four hours about one hour of a Star Wars movie. Exactly. Do you think and this is, um, I'm just thinking about how incredible like this is. Like, we're breaking boundaries, you know. I don't know if there's ever been a podcast with, you know, two white men hosting... Yeah, I, I do think it's kind of a win, I would yeah. say, for diversity. Um, yeah. It's pretty special. Um, and I actually, I, I can think of um, the white one with two white men, but um, they weren't both cis. So that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, wow, wow. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, you know, I think we're really going to, you know, push some buttons. Hopefully not. <laughs> what? I don't know. <laughs> well, I think we're gonna we're gonna tell it like it is, if that's what you mean. Yeah, so I really like mixing metaphors after that Eric Trump tweet. That's like <laughs> the chips are gonna the chips are gonna crumble. I think he must have been imagining like eating like crunchy chips. Yeah, but it's the cookies. Cr- I don't know. A lot yeah. of crumble, but chips don't really. Crumble. That's that's the way the cookie crumbles. Where the cookie crumbles. Yeah, it's uh the the eggs are all in the bathhouse or it's. Uh, hmm. Don't don't put all your oranges in one apple. Yeah. Oh, and I, yeah, I uh, we just got a bunch of groceries. We just came back from a grocery haul. I was. Uh, you went to grocery haul, not Safeway. <laughs> yeah, grocery haul. It's a college building. Um, <laughs> no, it's uh, it was good. It was um, a fairly fairly productive trip. Weirdly, the Safeway is pretty empty on Thursday nights. Yeah. I didn't. We had been going on Friday mornings, and then we got too busy during work to like step out of the house for that. But but now we've been going on Thursday nights, and it's pretty good. So yeah, I mean it makes sense. There's um, I don't know if you heard. There's like a pandemic happening. Oh, in, it's been like a little in the news. I don't think it's got as much screen time as it should have. But yeah. I I don't really know why we're not talking about that. No, yeah. I don't know. I don't know who needs to hear this, but there's a pandemic happening. <laughs> I need to hear this. I need to know the truth. And that's what this podcast is. It's the truth. We're, we're kind of speaking truth to power, I would say, is the, the main goal of the Star Wars Hour. Exactly. Because the power, of course, would be the evil empire. 
Yeah, um, or the the first order. Or the first order. Well, really, anyone with the force kind of has power. So if I, you know, yes. I'm, so we're speaking in favor of the least powerful, yeah. the Gonk Droid, for instance. The Gonk Droid, or a humble slave owner such as uh, Watto, for instance. You know. Yeah. Well, we're not we're not actually going to talk about Star Wars too much, at least. But I do think that we should talk about uh, Rise of Star- Skywalker. I think it was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'm just kidding. We're not. We're not. Yeah. We we should not get into that. We really shouldn't. Um. Anyway, how are you doing? What's up? How's it, how have you been? Um, I'm doing okay. I'm feeling pretty good. I feel like the monotony is is getting me down. Um, my days just feel like they don't have any sense of like novelty or like spontaneity or anything like that. Like I I know what each day is going to be, which is pretty weird. Um, and uh. Not that fun, but um, I'm getting by. Um, you know, getting by by eating some good things and yeah. listening to some good music and watching some good stuff. And we just started watching uh, Dead to Me season two, and I remember that Dead to Me is not that good. No, I haven't seen it. It's um, well, it's got uh, oh fuck, what's her name from from Freaks and Geeks? It's the got the girl from Freaks and Geeks. Who was in Green Book? Linda she was the, yeah, 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 yeah. She was in Scooby Doo and Scooby Doo Monsters Unleashed as well. Which I think brings us to something that we need to talk about today. Which is tomorrow is yes. the digital release of the movie Scoob! Exclamation point. Oh, you! This is we're recording in the last few hours before Scoob hits the earth. You know, this is the, the end of the pre-Scoob. The yeah. end of the pre-Scoob world is what we're witnessing right now. We'll be listening in a post-Scoob environment, and we don't know what that'll be like. You know, will there still be order in the world? Will there, you know, I'd say take your money out of the bank right now before Scoob comes out. Cause I would say invest it right now. <laughs> the stocks are going to skyrocket because of Scoob. Invest in so, hands. Like just to... So, Scoob... Is like a it's a 3D animated Scooby Doo adaptation, but it's also about the origin of the yeah. Scooby Doo, the Mystery Inc. gang, and it's also they cross over with some characters from Wacky Races, I believe, which is a and different Hanna Barbera. I read a um, someone on Reddit claimed to have read the script mm. and said that it was it was very much like focused on this kind of faux superhero character. And it was very much centered around them more than it should have been. You know, it should have been more about, you know, the gang. The- right. That's really weird. Like, people like Scooby-Doo. You don't need to create a Scooby-Doo ex- extended universe in the very first Scooby-Doo. And the thing, you know, prequels, interesting. They can, you know, the prequels are incredible. But, you know, prequels in general can can be hit or miss. And there is one scene in the trailer which really rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, or just raised some questions. It's when Scooby first meets Shaggy. It's not a spoiler, it's in the trailer. And a cop yeah. comes up and says, this your dog? And young Shaggy goes like, oh, yes. And he goes, yeah, what's his name? And I dropped my putty. Um, but Shaggy looks at some Scooby snacks, right? And so I always assumed that Scooby snacks and Scooby-Doo the dog were kind of, you know, it was a symbiotic relationship of sorts. But this supposes yeah. that Scooby snacks not only existed before the dog, but 
were its name the name his namesake after. he was named after that is interesting honestly i'm not really sure what i thought a scooby snack was i know that in the real world they are mm -hmm. scooby-doo branded so i guess i kind of assumed that that's what it was in that but it doesn't make sense that these like hippies riding around in a van would have been producing uh their own line of snack food for dogs based on their dog you know well, like they don't have access to a factory and like printing materials and stuff Here's like a dog treat, and we call them Scooby Snacks. That kind of stuff as well. Oh, yeah, that's possible. But I think I would need to go back and look at the original series. Um, the other thing is that they said, I, I was reading an article today about the soundtrack for Scoob. Um, it's going to have a, a cover of the Scooby Dooby Doo Where Are You song. Yeah. But bless you. Basha sneezed in the next room. It's going to have a cover of Scooby Dooby Doo Where Are You by uh, Best Coast. Have you listened to them at all? No, I haven't. They came out with an album earlier this year, I think, and it wasn't really good. So, no. um, But uh, I wonder if it's going to be better than Tyler the Creator's cover of Your Mean One, Mr. Grinch, that came out with the Grinch movie. <laughs> yeah, well, who knows? <laughs> Honestly, the Tyler the Creator, that was, it was pretty good. Yeah. So when you... Um, Search Joanna Newsom into Spotify. The mm -hmm. only track she has is from The Muppets, the 2011 Jason Siegel film, which had an all-star, you know, had a great, you know, cast of people. They had Haley Williams and Weezer doing the Rainbow Connection. It was a great, like, yeah. you know, and, was and and Manor Muppet, which was a really good song. That's and Life's a Happy Life's a Happy Song, which opened it, was also really good. And in my opinion, uh, the final mm. when they do Rainbow Connection at the end, I think it's really good. There's a moment when Monster comes in on the. It's or when Animal, what's his name? What's his, Animal comes in on the drums, and it sounds great. It's not in uh, Dr. Teeth and Electric Mayhem, one of my favorites. Yeah. Right. Um, when, the drums, when the drums come in, shockingly, in Rainbow Connection, it's a really great moment. I really like that movie, that Muppets movie. I haven't seen it since it came out, but I saw it in theaters, and I loved it. But they released, like, a bonus soundtrack where other artists were invited to record, like, Muppet songs they liked. Huh as they do on like a bunch of other films. Like I think the first CD I ever bought was the Alice in Wonderland like tie-in CD. Very weird. Um, but there's a Joanna Newsom song from the Muppets bonus soundtrack. Wow, oh she does a cover of their theme song. Yeah, yeah, which I don't think is in the movie. <laughs> so. That's interesting, sorry, I'm listening to it. I don't know if you can, you can't hear this on mine, can you? You've got your phones in, your headphones. So yeah, I have my I have my headphones. So yeah, is it good though? <laughs> well, it doesn't really sound like. Oh, I hear her voice now. Her voice is one of only a few. There's only a few moments when you hear her singing it. Sadly, does she play the harp? She does play the harp. She actually plays it really well. Yeah, it's one of the big things about her. I just love the idea of you know Kermit and the gang being like. Joanna Newsom <laughs> perform on the show. That would be fun. It's Joanna. Uh, Joanna. Joanna Newsom. That's hard. I'm not really that good at doing a Kermit. Um, <laughs> I, even though I did, I did sing Rainbow Connection as my Humtone Senior solo. But oh yeah, I remember it. That was good. Yeah, Muppets. Muppets is a thing that, like, I you know, I never really watched the original Muppet Show or anything, but I still have a lot of fondness to them. Just kind of like through uh, osmosis of like, you know, watching half of the Christmas special every once in a while and like shit like that, you know? We rented the DVD from Love Film, which is the British version of Netflix, you know, back when it was oh, okay. 
delivering discs to your door mm-hmm. and rented the first season of The Muppet Show. I just had this incredible life-changing moment when Menomina came on. And I was like, holy shit, this is the funniest thing my little 10-year-old brain has ever oh. We had a tape of some sort, like a Sesame Street soundtrack tape that had Menomina on it. But the Sesame Street version is actually Menomina, pa-tee-pee-tee-pee, instead of do-do-do-do-do. So... I was raised with the Pachipi version, not the doo 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 version. Well, my mother would always sing Pachipi Cheepy. Oh, interesting. That's how a third version. And then I watched it and I was like, I don't think that's what they say. You know, trying to say, Mom, you got the lyrics to the song from the Muppet Show wrong. The one that doesn't have the lyrics. <laughs> They're just different. Cheepy Cheepy. Cheepy Cheepy. Um, yeah. I, I liked that Muppet movie, though, anyway. Um, but, but I did but, get to the studios where they were filming the second one, and I saw them building the sets. It was in Pinewood Studios in the UK. Muppets Most Wanted, of course. Most Wanted, which I haven't seen, but I saw no, the yeah, sets, and it was very funny because they built them three feet above the ground. Oh, yeah. I don't know who they are, but some people who, I, I guess, have to help the Muppets' assistants um, help them act. Yeah. <laughs> stand behind them because the Muppets aren't very tall so these people stand kind of behind the Muppets or aren't they to help God there's a um, fuck I'm trying to remember this fact about somebody there's like a guest star at the end of an old Muppets special oh I'll try I'll try to remember I'll try to remember Um, who's the like uh, really iconic like kind of I don't fucking know I don't even know how to describe this person I'm I'm too dumb for this (laughs) um Let's keep going. So, viewers, uh, send in your favorite Muppet show host. Send in your, your favorite Muppet moments, and we'll try to read a few of them on the air. Honestly, who, who's your favorite Muppet? Uh, my favorite Muppet? I don't know. I, I guess Kermit. Kermit. What can I, I say? You know, I, my, I have a three-way favorite tie. I empathize a lot with Gonzo, um, so I always love him as a kid. I love Rolf, the dog. I think he's wonderful. Very yeah, he's cool. Um, but in terms of purely the funniest, I would go to uh, a little controversial because it might be a little, uh, you know, offensive to uh, the Scandinavian ears. But the Swedish chef, I think, is a paragon of comedy. Yeah, a little problematic, but he's cool. Problem- problematic fave. I-, I do remember one great bit where he uh, was making bagels and he tossed the dough up in the air and just pulled out a rifle and shot a hole. <laughs> What? The Swedish chef did? Yeah. He was like, oh, bagel. <laughs> and Sounds more like a Sam Eagle kind of move. He just tosses up the dough and just shoots a hole in it. And that's wow. how bagels. Mm. Very good. It's very funny. That's funny. Yeah, I saw there's a museum with a moving picture in New York. Um, they, they had this amazing Muppets. Jim Henson. It was a whole Jim Henson exhibit, which I loved. I was really more of a Sesame Street person than a Muppets person. But I like that. Yeah, Elmo was pretty cool, but um, I was more of a, you know, I loved all oh, the Muppet movies were all great. Most of them were great. There's the Most one that was an alien, and that one kind of flopped. It's, Wait, there's one with an alien? No, no, Gonzo is the uh, Muppets from Space. That's what it's called. And it's like kind I see. of Area 51. Oh, they have to, the government, the, the feds are coming after the Muppets. And it doesn't really work. Yeah, yeah, it's not great. Oh, and the other one I don't think is great is Treasure Island, which 
I think the problem there is that the lead character is not a Muppet. It's just a human boy who is friends with Gonzo and Rizzo. Why are they friends with humans? I mean, not that they can't be. But, but so, say with the Christmas Carol, it works because Scourge is played by uh, Michael Caine, friend of the pod. Uh, can I try? Yeah. I'm Michael Caine. I'm Michael. That was honestly an impression of Michael doing Michael Caine. But. Here's my uh, uh, impression of Noah. Did anyone see Michael Caine? Does Noah say that? <laughs> no, sorry. I'll, I'll do it. Uh, where did I put Michael Caine? <laughs> Okay, I get it. I get it. Noah likes Coke. Ah, ha, 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 and loses things. Um, that was a good lot there. Yeah, The Muppets, The Christmas Carol, Michael Caine, incredible performance. I think it's a great movie. And then Treasure Island has just this random kid who nobody gives a fuck about. Like, th- that should have just been Gonzo. You could have just had Gonzo play Jim. But no. I haven't seen it in a while, and there probably should be are more problems, but that's that's all I can think about. Yeah, that's fair. It's a great franchise. One of the Muppets coming back, you know? They gotta make a... They they tried that Office style, you know, behind the scenes for Muppets. Yeah, I watched a couple episodes of that, and honestly, I, I think that the idea has a lot of promise, but apparently it was bad. Yeah. <laughs> you just can't crack them. Um, yeah, it's too bad. Uh, I think they should just instead of remaking like classic novels, they should remake classic sitcoms. You know, like uh, interesting. I don't know, Cheers, but with the Muppets. That would be kind of fun. Muppets. Uh, they could make like a Muppets, Muppets Brady Bunch or something like that. Yeah, the the puppety. That would be fun. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, they're not the Muppety Bunch. Muppety Bunch. Um, so speaking of speaking of uh, sitcoms, um, there yeah. was a trailer released for the new season of the final season of Fuller House. Yeah, um, and we just we, we wanted to watch this trailer, you know, give our thoughts because we know our viewers, our audience, really is invested in the final season of Fuller House. Yeah, I know that there's been a lot of talk about what's going to happen in this last season. Yeah. It's the farewell season that comes out on June 2nd on Netflix. Um, so I was thinking maybe we could just break down the trailer. Well, before going into uh, I had a So thought. Fuller House... Uh, oh, wait, wait, do you want to go into the history of the show? Tell, tell our viewers. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know that much about Full House or Fuller House. <laughs> well, I did some homework before this episode, by which I mean... I watched the trailer for each season of Fuller House. Oh, cool. And, uh, you know, I can't really tell you what it's about, but there's a house in San Francisco and several people live in it, and I could not work out their relations with one another. I, I could never... Did you ever have this thing when you were younger when you would catch an episode of something on TV and be like, I can't understand what the relationship between all these characters is? That would happen to me a lot on... Um, like, that's... Whenever I watched any of Rugrats, I would be like, who... Who are these kids? And that was on on Full House too. Like I would see it, and I would be like, "Are those men like in a relationship?" Uh, which was a very foreign idea to me as a child. Well, um, in the trailers for these seasons, say in season one, I'd be like, "Oh, these two like this is brother and sister," and then next season they'd get married, and I was like, "Maybe, maybe not," but I don't really know. 
Um, but what I do know is that the original show had, uh, you know, it's Mary-Kate and Ashleyson played the same character. She's crazy. Yeah, that is interesting, especially because, like, uh, there have also been times when an actress like Lindsay Lohan played twins. And then you got twins playing the same character. So, like, what the fuck, you know? Why? Because I guess on a sitcom, they're, like, working 10 hours a day for, like, six days. Yeah, that makes sense. With a kid, you can't legally do that. Thank God. We have labor laws. but Stupid fucking labor laws, you know? Kids in this show, and none of them seem to be played by twins. But I always wonder, do you think you could, like, tell, I don't know, if you watch an episode, if, would you be like, oh, this is a Mary-Kate scene? I mean, it would probably, like, this is, yeah, right, it would be scene by scene, I guess, but We've I don't know, I'm not... Out mid-scene. <laughs> like, just Maybe, them. like, this shot is too hard to get, we gotta, we gotta switch you out. <laughs> it's time for you to go to, like, fucking school or whatever. <laughs> Maybe. Anyway. But when Fuller House started, uh, I don't, I actually don't remember this, why, but I somehow got into a Facebook group for it and then added several people, including you, to this Facebook group that is called Fuller House, what is it, Fuller House Spoiler Friendly Discussion, Um, but, but this discussion group is currently shut down until, um, until June 2nd, there, uh, New posting is closed. You can't clo- you can't post in it right now. Speculation or like odds are run up to the final season. There's no reactions to the trailer. It's insane to me. Free speech in this country just is taken blow by blow on this. One of the most yeah, they, they turned off posts on April twenty eighth, but um they had had on the twenty third one of the mods posted, please don't put anything COVID related that is negative into this group, it won't be accepted. <laughs> Well, you know, as the old saying goes, first you came from my Nazi speaking on campus, then you came from my Fuller House trailer reaction. That's all they said. Uh, <laughs> That's the free speech. The fact, the fact that, sorry, the fact about the Muppet movie that I was trying to think of <laughs> is that Orson Welles has a cameo appearance at the end of it. In which one? The, the, the Muppet movie, I think. The, like the 60s and the 70s Muppet movie? Or I, I think Seagull? so. I thought he would have been dead by the Jason Segel one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I believe that's true. For that, the ads, they were so good. So, it like, they had trailers that I loved as a kid. I would just watch these trailers when I was, like, 13. And it was like, oh, it's a Jason Segel rom-com. And then it would just present, like, a minute of a earnest Jason Segel, Amy Adams rom-com. And then it would be, like, starring, J- it, like, Amy Adams... Jason the Seagull, Kermit the Frog, Miss Piggy? And then they'd be like, wait, is this a Muppet? And they just did a series of trailers parroting other trailers, including the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo trailer, which is like an excellent trailer put to Led Zeppelin. And they did that, and it was like the pig with the froggy tattoo or something. I don't think she has a frog tattoo, canonically. It was a fake trailer. Oh, okay. Got it, got it, got it. I just want to make sure, uh, I think Miss Piggy is against tattoos. I'm pretty sure she's uh, a devout Christian and, and she follows the laws in Leviticus about ta- about uh, ink on your skin. Well, and that's why she doesn't eat pork. Right, that's true. Yeah. No, she keeps kosher. It's interesting. Yeah. Anyway, um, um, so Fuller House, first things first, did you watch this trailer on YouTube itself or through an embedded 
web page? I watched it on YouTube. What? Why it, does it make a difference? Well, I was wondering if you read the description below. I have it printed out here. It's uh, a, okay. Yeah, Cole, you, sorry, you printed out, I don't think you said this on the pod, but you printed yeah. out notes for this podcast. So I have a, a printer in this house, and I, I'm very excited. I got it working yesterday, so I'm like, ooh, what can I print? So I printed out the schedule and four pages of notes, um, which we'll go over. Most of them are for one particular segment of this pod. But yeah, so I have printed out here, Fanarinos, you're going to need a box of tissues, snot emoji, like the face with the tissue emoji on the nose. Like, not on the eyes. It's very much like a nose tissue. Yeah. <laughs> Bring it in with us for the farewell season of Fuller House on June 2nd. Only on Netflix, heart. I just like Fanarinos. Yeah, so, so I believe that the family in Fuller House, or at least one of the families, I think there might be multiple families involved, is the Tanners. Oh. Um, and so I think they call each other Tanarinos, maybe. And so then the fans become Fanarinos. Oh, wow. That's the, the layers upon layers. That's... Of- I mean, yeah, it sounds like something Ned Flanders would say, but um, that's interesting. I don't know what bring it in with us means. Maybe they do a lot of group hugs on this show. It would make sense. And from the trailers, I, there seem to be a lot of hugging moments. Like- yeah, so the, the trailer begins with the text for over 30 years and sad piano version of Everywhere You Look, which is the theme song to the show. Do you think We've been the- family. And it has shots of all the characters back in the, back in the 90s or whatever and then today. Wow. What's your thought on the the theme of Full full House, Full House? I mean, the I forgot I forgot who sings the contemporary version of it. The original I don't know who sang it, but um, when it when it kicks in in this trailer is a great moment. I was like, holy shit! Carly Rae Jepsen sings the theme song for Fuller House. Yeah, wow. You know, there's a lot. Pretty mind blowing here, really. (laughs) <laughs> That's one yeah. of her best songs, I'd say. You know, she can cover um, Olive Oil and Full House. Uh, yeah, right. And um, she also has a version of Both Sides Now. Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone knows that, but yeah, it's good. So the most interesting thing about this trailer is that a man has proposed to the character DJ. And this is um, a man who, in a previous trailer, I assumed was a brother or a cousin or something, but was right. not Apparently. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think it's like an incest kind of thing on Fuller yeah. House. Well, um, first, before we get to the wedding, there's a ser- like a montage, say, of little video clips. And some of them, if you noticed, close at- viewers who pay close attention notice that some of the video clips were crisp, whereas others, the video appeared fuzzy, which was an interesting aesthetic choice I thought they, they made in the trailer. Yeah, I was curious. I was like, why'd they do that? Why'd they make some of them look old and some of them look new? It's, you know, fascinating subtlety. I, I wish someone would teach a course about Fuller House because there's really so much to read into. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, you look at the setting. I think it's in San Francisco. It is. You know, when I was in San Francisco in January, um, mm-hmm. we were walking around and we saw uh, our friend who was showing us around this family, she was showing us around, this family walked past with Google Maps out on one of their phones and just yelled, this is it. This is the Mrs. Doubtfire house. Wow. Uh, and our guide, Nora, was like, yeah, there's a lot of, like that one over there is the Princess Diaries house and it's like the Princess Bride house. But Princess Diaries house. And then over here somewhere is the Full House house. So we didn't actually get to see it, but uh, wow. it's not too far from the Mrs. Doubtfire house and the Princess 
Irish. Do you think it's the same as the Fuller House house? I don't know that, you know? Well, I think they probably had it take place in the same, yeah. I mean, or they probably used the same, the same exterior and then yeah. had the same, a similar set mm-hmm. for the legacy of it. Um, um, back to the trailer. Back to the trailer. Uh, so she says, this is a wedding I never thought would happen. I get to marry the love of my life. Yeah. Alongside my sister and my best friend, a triple wedding. I mean, that's amazing. All getting married. Right, yeah. And so, okay, so that kind of sets up Fuller House. Now we know it's two sisters and one best friend living together. Yeah, and John Stamos is there. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know who he is. I don't think he's either of the sisters or the best friend. From previous trailers, there are two uncles. I think from the the trailers, I grasp that a lot of the show is they stand in the living room and are like, we leave our door open, and then someone will walk in and it'll be like John Stamos, or like, it'll be like Uncle Blueby or something. Uncle, I think there's an Uncle Jesse. Yeah, and it's Uncle... two, or, uh, two or three seasons into Fuller House, when the characters said, whatever happened to Uncle's something and something, and then consecutively they walk into the house to rapturous applause. Oh shit, that sounds great. Yeah, no, I'd recommend uh, Uncle Joey. There's Uncle Joey too. Joey. There's Dave Dave Coulier, and then there's also Bob Saget and and um, John Stamos. Those are the three older men on this show. Kind <laughs> of who's who, really. Yeah, for sure. Um, so then it shows that they're getting ready for a triple wedding. Yeah. Um, family is important. Then the Carly Rae Jepsen version of the theme song kicks in. And it's great. This is my favorite bit is when the um, of the song match like they cut to the beats and it's someone screaming each time so the like person's voice fills in the beat of the song, which is best when one time it's just a dog who goes Arf! Um it's a very quick fun being like, I'm getting married. Woo woo Arf! So yeah, it was a good joke, you know. I, I thought it was that it was is clever. That is fun. I guess the other thing of note in this trailer is that they completely cut out the, one of the characters because she has been arrested. <laughs> oh, no, Aunt Becky. Oh, Aunt Becky. Aunt Becky is gone. Characters. Where did she go? They are making it seem as if Aunt Becky has never existed, which is kind of insane. But no, um, no wonder the like fan discourse has been shut down. <laughs> That's probably part of it. I, I don't know how they reacted. So the the big meta moment of the trailer, however, is Lori the last Loughlin. 30 seconds. Oh, okay, now I get it. That's, that's Lori Laughlin from the uh, yeah. the college. In, yeah, yeah. Right? The varsity, the varsity Blues scandal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, pretty wild. Damn. You know, that's something where it's a... It's a story that you hear and you're like, this is very interesting news, but it doesn't affect me personally. And now I've realized it, it's very, it hits close to home. It doesn't really hit home until you, until you watch your, your favorite show's trailer. It, it, the house is not a home, but the house is not home without Lori Lachlan. Oh, that's true. <laughs> um, I did think, uh, what did you think of the joke at the end? Yeah. Uh, I don't think it works. It's what they call meta humor, where they're yeah. talking about, you think they're talking about the show and it's gone on too long and it's great, you know. It's no, great. one of them says, one of them says, why does it have to end? Another one says, people like it so much. Another one says, I'm not ready for it to be done. 
I want to binge more. And then somebody walks in and says, what are you guys talking about? And they say in unison, ice cream. Here's my question. Postmodern meta humor. <laughs> why would you say about ice cream any of those things? I get that you like ice cream, but why would you say, why does it have to end? You can get more ice cream. Like, yes. Uh, you know, in their universe, has ice cream been, like, outlawed? San Francisco, you know, it's... Probably the, probably the liberal San Francisco government has put a tax on ice cream or something like that, and now you can't get it anymore. They have to spend more money on, I guess that, well, if you think about it, Full House is really a scathing critique of San Francisco's horrible, you know, housing crisis, because it's the most expensive city to live in the U.S., which is why there are so many people living in one house. It's so full, yeah. It's the only way you can afford to live in San Francisco is in a fuller house. Um, I mean, if you told me that there was a show called Fuller House that took place in San Francisco, I might draw that conclusion. Yeah, that's that it's why it's, you know, this show couldn't take place in, say, I don't know, Kentucky, because uh, they'd be able to afford their own houses. But why do they look so concerned when they're saying people like it so much? Why does it have to be done? <laughs> I want to binge more. of the series that ice cream is being canceled. Why does it have, why does ice cream have to be done? It does sound like, that. so the dual plot, the, the, the A plot is the wedding, the triple wedding, and the B plot is the ice cream scandal, uh, which yeah. is when Aunt Becky was arrested for embezzling ice cream, I think. Ice cream and Aunt Becky both got canceled in this universe. So I have two questions going into this final season trailer. Mm-hmm. That, um, one, will the house end up more or less full by the end of the season? I don't know. I mean, there probably are two ways to end it, which is either everyone goes their separate ways or somebody, more people move into the house and it's like, this is never going to end, you know? And my other question is, do you think, you know, it's been 30 years since Full House, maybe another 30 years we'll get a fullest house? I don't think they could ever cap it off like that. I think it would have to be even fuller house. True, but it's really simple for a rival. You just add more people to the house just make the house even because i guess there's no like the house is already full right it's at capacity so if you overload you just keep adding more and more people right i mean it can't be fuller than full but it ha- it is and i think it's just going to get even fuller now what i see full is you know when you go to a restaurant or movie theater and it's like this venue is limited to 87 people uh-huh right? that's full so they had 12 people in the house. That's a full house. You add three more people, they can still physically inhabit the same place, but it's already been full, right? Now it's full. That's true. Apparently, Mary-Kate and Ashley aren't in this show? Yeah, good for them. I hear they probably had an awful time. I think an awful time with Hollywood and maybe their parents. So that's why they haven't been acting for a while, I think. And one of them's trying to get a divorce in quarantine. I heard today. Oh, really? Yeah. Which, you know, good for you getting during quarantine. I think a lot of people are probably going to get divorces during quarantine. Yeah. yeah. So I hear they had some rough times. How have you been doing in uh, Connecticut? I'm good. You know, it's... Yeah. Uh, I, I love it. I'm, like, the only person who's, like, like mentally not awful by, you know, quarantine. Because I'm, like, used to, you know, long periods of nothing. Um, and staying inside, so I just kind of make my own coffee. 
it's great. Like today I went for a walk and collected different types of leaves and oh. figure out what tree they came from. Uh, How'd it go? Uh, you know, I got some spruces. I couldn't figure out the species, but I figured out the genus of most of them. So I'm getting better. That's cool. I'm getting really into just like learning things. Like I'll just sit and be like, wow, like what is like the ego? I don't like read a lot about like ego death and stuff. Or yeah, I just have been doing a lot of like not a lot, which is good. Like I enjoy it. You know, I've gotten some reading done and like, no, I don't want to say it like that because that means there's like, I have to get this much reading done. I've done yeah. some reading. I think it's That's awesome. awesome. Like I've been trying to think of like, I don't have to do everything. I just like, you know, I might as well just enjoy it and like do things that are good. And I've been cooking a lot and I'm very lucky that being in this big house and it's good because I don't have to pay rent here, so I don't have to work, you know? Yeah, that's excellent. That's nice. How's, uh, how's Fern doing and Basha? Fern is doing pretty well. Um, yeah, she didn't, uh, she didn't interrupt us in bed at all last night while we were sleeping. She didn't wake us up. So I slept all the way through the night and woke up in the morning and was like, what the fuck? So I don't know what the deal was with that. But uh, no, Fern seems like she's doing well. Yeah. Basha's also doing well. Um, Today I do you want to do you want to do a quick rosebud thorn? Sure. I mean just thorn. Yeah, just thorn. Uh, my thorn is that I think. No, honestly, for me, <laughs> that's it. A lot of back pain. You've been having what back pain? Lots of back. Pain. Oh, I'm sorry. Fuller back. Pain. My, we only have cha our chairs here are like these wooden kitchen chairs, and they're just not good for like sitting in long periods of time. So for like halfway through the workday, I just need to sit in bed. Which is not really good for my long-term, you know, sleep health. But you should uh, stack up a lot of books and make a standing desk if you want. I could do that. <laughs> I could do that. That's not a terrible idea, honestly. You could put Fern's little cat climbing frame on <laughs> and put your laptop on that. I don't think she would like that it was on top of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I my. That's, I guess that's my thorn too. Not yeah. comfy enough chairs here. I'm getting tired of the infrastructure in this apartment. Mm, makes sense. And our lights are going out. Uh, the kitchen, like the kitchen overhead light and the bathroom overhead light, both are like almost, uh, both the light bulbs are almost out. But I don't, I, I didn't want to place a work order because I don't want somebody to come in to fix it. Have you, like, do you think it's the bulb or the moment? Yeah, it's just the bulbs are, are burned out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you it's want, just it just happens over time. But you now we're like, I didn't. What did you just say? I couldn't hear it. You could order some bulbs if you wanted and try it. Yeah, but that's it's the apartment building's responsibility to replace these yeah, ones because they're like they come with it. It's just only yeah. Um, but. Uh, so that's a bummer. That's probably my thorn is the, the infrastructure of the apartment. My rose is, um, it's almost the end of the week. Uh, we're, we're chilling. Some good albums coming out tomorrow. I guess maybe that's a bud. Um, and I've been, I'm going to volunteer with our local mutual aid group. I'm going to do some shopping for them. Great. Yeah. Pretty cool. And the, the shopping inventory pod for, our area is right by our apartment, so I don't even need to go that far to donate it afterwards. I'll just hit the grocery store, I'll hit the pod, it's good. Safe way. The pod. Yeah, the safe. 
Nice. And you're uh but so yeah, you know, we're chilling. Nice. Um, what's my my rose is uh yeah, I've just been thinking a lot. Having a lot of time to like do some self-reflection, but also learning, which is great. And, and that's a rose? That's that's my rose. And my, for me, having a lot of time to do a self-reflection is definitely a thorn. Really good. Like I've been finding out like healthy ways to do it, and like not just self-reflection, but like think about my aims and my goals and what I want to do, and mainly just trying to orient myself to thinking that there's no like stress. Want to do that? Like all these notions of like success are fake. Like they're me comparing myself to other people without comparing circumstances. Mm-hmm. Like the world we live in, and like the likelihood is like we won't ever be able to achieve what like other people call success or people of previous generations. Um, even for me, yeah. success is like direct a movie or like write a book or something. Um, right. So I've been just being like, as long as I enjoy it, you know. And part of that is like paying attention to things around me, like trees and birds and movies. You know, the three nature. That's awesome. Um, my bud, uh, my book's getting really good. <laughs> yeah. What book is it? It's called. Uh, oh, I have it here. Actually. You'll like it. It's by that Italian man, Umberto Eco. It's a uh, Foucault's Pendulum. Uh-huh. It's it's kind of like a, a like a Dan Brown style conspiracy, but like a satire of that. Oh, interesting. Years before Dan Brown started writing, and apparently when like Da Vinci Code came out like someone was like oh you should read this to umberto and he was like wow dan brown seems like a character i made up because it's all about these like people who are academics but like start believing in like the templars and the coppola and they kind of sounds great everyone in their life like shit because they're too obsessed with these (laughs) conspiracies oh yeah interesting yeah i'm gonna get another beer Oh, nice. Your your rush is kind of jetting around. Um, sorry. Your, your Wi-Fi is kind of jutting a little bit. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I'll no, I'll good. get situated in the the bedroom. I'm moving, so it'll be it'll be better. So uh, our, our friends, you know, they they set us up with uh, they talked about uh, tapes. You know, yes. Mixtapes, not mistakes. I haven't made any mixtapes, but I've made a lot of mistakes, as Sufyan would say. Or, as I always imagined, a lunch cafe worker would say, I've made a lot of mistakes, because there was a sandwich called the mistake with a Z. And I, really? I don't remember that. I don't know what was in it. It was probably like pastrami, I think. Um, but every time I saw that on the board, in my head, Sufyan would say, I've made a lot of mistakes. Mistakes. I've made a lot of mixtape mistakes. Any thoughts about mixtapes? Mixtapes? Have you made any mixtapes? Um, no. I mean, not not mixtapes per se. I uh, I've burned some CDs in my day, but um, one time I burned a CD called Ethan Summer Jams for my for my friends when we were we were driving to Hershey Park together. So I I burned a a mixtape of feel good summer songs. Oh, yeah. I'm sure we built that we built the city was on it probably. Yeah, it's summer jam. It's yeah, it's it's very it's a very summery song. Um and uh let's see. Uh, you know, I've I've made playlists for people before. 
Um, but usually just, yeah, I mean, not really too much uh, mixtape experience. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I made some for like a couple months when I have, uh, when I, our car that me and my brother shared, now me and my brother and my sister, but really my brother and my sister now shared um, the Fiat Panda and I just had a CD player. So I would make some and I had some on iTunes. There was one that I, I labeled very pretentiously, Against the Weather Dawning, which was a lyric from one of the songs on there. Wow. But really, the two CDs I would listen to are the two CDs I made called Fave Talking Heads Part 1 and Part 2, because I had a lot of Talking Heads music I liked, and I would just put all my favorite songs onto two CDs. They're both like an, oh, this, they're like two, for some reason, a Wilco CD ended up on one of these. They're about two hours, two and a half, if you include the Wilco album Star Wars, which somehow ended up on here. But that was not on the CD, that's just in the iTunes version. Huh. Yeah, so I, I'm not a big mixtape maker. Um, I think I was in the wrong era for that and didn't really have the means. Um, and also didn't here's, listen to music. Here's one thing that I, I do have experience with is that my dad used to make us playlists whenever we would go on a vacation. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, I think, the closest thing that I have is that we would have a playlist, a new playlist for each vacation. So. Yeah. But, uh, but no, not, not really... Not really much mixtape experience, um, but we would, I believe, like to respond to the questionnaire. Yes, yes. Well, yeah, and just I'm thinking about playlists, and like I only listen to music in like albums or disc or like a continuous kind of flow of songs. And playlists kind of implies a list, which you know is chronological. Yeah. Whereas a lot of the playlists I have, I listen to very chronologically. So I don't, interesting words, but anyway, questions. Ethan, what is a song you think is eh, perfecto? Yeah. What's your perfect song? I don't, I'm not, I'm not positive about some of these answers, I'll say. Yeah, no, same. Um, my perfect song, this is kind of I think I think there's significant lag between us right now, Cole. Yeah. I, you, okay. I need to move even over here. I'm sorry. I mean, I think I think it is me. I think it's saying my connection is unstable. Your connection stabilizes. Be over here. Maybe I should try to connect to Xfinity Wi-Fi instead of my my normal Wi-Fi. Sorry. Should I pause it? <laughs> can you can you hear me? Yep. For listeners. Okay. I think this is probably fine, but I might switch back. I might drop out. We'll see. Yeah. If you drop out, I'll do something. Um, so do you yeah. I'm sure you'll do an ad. A song you think is a perfecto. So here's the song that I think is perfecto. Uh, Closer to Fine by the Indigo Girls. When I, when, I, when I hear perfect song, I'm like, I want a song that I can listen to over and over and over again. And I feel like this is that song. Every time I hear it, it sounds so fresh and so beautiful. Like the harmonies, 
the the vocals are so yeah. soaring and so fun to listen to and to sing. I feel like it, it's got great replay value. It just sounds so fucking good. Yeah. That's an interesting thought. I think of Perfect is, I think, I don't know if you were listening to this podcast that someone said it on, but Perfect is in, not that it can't be critiqued, but it has something that makes it kind of immune to that, um, that it would still be perfect regardless of if it has. Interesting. And that combined with something that I think is makes a song great, which I found in something I was reading, um, someone says great good music is something that sneaks up on you and changes you. And I think about that a lot in the best songs that like, just I haven't listened to for months and they'll just appear in my mind. Um, and often that happens with bad songs, but then I think that like there's something about that. So the song that I'm just like, oh, this is a perfect song is Once in a Lifetime by the Talking Heads. Just Talking Heads. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, great song. It's uh, yeah. So what's the song you probably heard? From is you? is that a Talking Heads best of? Uh, you mean is it on their like best of CD? Is it on your best of mixtape that you made of oh. the Talking Heads? Well, it's two volumes. It's Fave Talking Heads Part One. I think I have two versions of it on there because I have one from album, Remain in Place, and then one from Stop Making Sense. Is both versions? Oh, are okay. I love how Stop Making Sense the last thirty seconds. It kind of goes like becomes even more positive and beautiful, and yeah, it's a great song. Anyway, next question: What's the song you like? Right. Most people haven't heard. Okay, so I kind of went in the other direction on this. I went to a more minimalistic one. Um, I mean, having heard. Indigo Girls, that the Closer to Fine is a song. <laughs> Closer to Fine is a song that I really like the uh, the sound of a lot. This is a song where I really like the writing of it. I think it's got really tight writing. It's a Seed Song by the Mountain Goats. I don't know if you know Seed Song. It's one of their pretty old songs. It's off of a compilation album called Protein Source of the Future Now. Um, so it came out in, I don't know, like 1996 or something like that. And I think that it's just, it has like a very simple folk structure and it it's, I don't know, I think it's like a poem. It's like, it's just an incredibly clever irony and uh, I think it's really, I think it's really well written. Uh, my own, uh choice was the song Bully by DeYarman Edison, which, yeah, it's a band no one's really heard of. The CD is for CDs, which I found online once by chance. Um, It's not on Spotify or anything. Uh, Wow. Yeah, well, the band, um, they they themselves as a band are not that famous, but they're like, we're from Wisconsin and moved to South Carolina recorded a couple albums and then kind of broke up, had some tension that broke up the band and one of the members was having a bad time from that breakup and all romantic breakup. So he moved to Wisconsin and like lived in a cabin for a few months where he recorded this incredible folk album uh, called For Emma Forever Ago. Wow. Heard of. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Um, okay, so what's the instrument you want to hear solo, Han Solo sing? I 
the only thing I want to hear from Han Solo is the song Raiden. Uh, I'm Han. I'm Han Solo from uh, the Star Wars Just Dance or Star Wars Connect, whatever it is. What about Jedi Rocks by Max? Well, Jedi and that's a great song as well. Uh, Yub Nub by the Ewoks, also a great song. <laughs> it does slap, really. Um, the one Lin Manuel Miranda wrote for the Force Awakens. Yeah, Java. I think it was called Java Rock or something like that. Something good like that. Yeah, uh, it's, it's not very good. Um, yeah, so I said I said that the instrument I want to hear do a solo is piano or saxophone. I think anytime I hear one of a piano or a sax do a solo, I'm like, that's great. Yeah. Um, the ins- I put uh, horn. I love horn like solos. I think Bonavere uses a bunch of great ones. Um, but also electric organ. I think electric organ is so much fun. I've been listening to a lot of electric Bob Dylan, like Highway did Bond on Bond, and he used the electric organ so well in the two albums. Uh, oh, it's so good. Cool. So you've really been in a Bob Dylan. Uh, you've been you've been hitting the Bob Dylan pretty heavy, huh? I was gonna put "I'm Not There" as a song I like, but most others haven't heard. But thinking about like. A lot of people have heard it, just not really know. Or like, not a lot of people have. It's this incredible song that like was only available as like a bootleg until re- like the 21st century, because he, he like the only available master mm-hmm. sent to Neil Young, and Neil Young, I guess, like didn't realize it was the only master, so just was like, this is cool, and kept it until like 2006 <laughs> when he found that filmmaker was looking for it. And Neil was like, oh, yeah, I'll send it over. And it's an incredible song. I'm not there. Um, if That's wild. You would describe yourself as a genre. What would you do? What would you do? I don't know. I don't know the answer to this, Cole. I'm sorry. I, ha- I thought about it. I have no clue what, yeah. the, what the correct answer to this is. I mean, I, I'm, I'm tempted to just say whatever genres I like, you know? Like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to, how to answer it. I think for you, I don't know, I see you as kind of like, very like, what's it called, a lot of piano you know, like boom, boom, uh, on piano, but also some like, folky elements. So, hmm, alternative folk, maybe, I don't know. To me, I think what I would, what I would think of is probably like, what what I would think of is kind of like novelty music, like yeah. music that was made for like a children's television special, but it's actually very emotional. That's great. Novelty emo, I think. Would be good. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think something like that, like something where something where you hear it and you're like, "What the fuck is this?" And then you're like, "Whoa, oh, that's actually yeah." Even though this came from like a, a really bizarre, uh, like quirky piece of media that's actually uh that's that's really strong stuff so that's it you think of yourself as coming from a weird piece of media yeah okay um i put myself as dream folk maybe i don't know i'm very dreamy i don't know i like dreams Ooh, dream folk um and dream folk to me is like this moving like oscillation between up in the clouds that's fun Okay, and we're back. Ethan, are you back? Ethan's not back. Uh-oh. Looks like we're having some uh, little technical difficulties here. 
Oh, are you there? I'm here. I'm here. Great, great. Um, All right, good. I think we're good now. Okay, so next questions. Uh, what do you do? You know? So when I'm listening to music most of the time, sadly, I am sitting at my computer working, which yeah. is very lame. Ideally, music connects with me most, I think, when I'm like taking a train somewhere or biking somewhere or something like that. Like most of the time, it's when I'm traveling. Um, when I'm driving, I find that I have a little bit too much attention. Yeah. That music is kind of boring to me, and I prefer to listen to podcasts when I'm driving, but other modes of transit, like walking or... Uh, biking or being on a train or something like that. That's perfect music for me. But but uh, sadly, most of the time I'm, I'm working. Yeah, I like uh, music to move around too, but I also agree with you. I do a lot for like light work, like I'll do it for like reading articles because I don't work that much now. I used to back when I was at work. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I, I listen to music, all the things. I feel like there are a few activities that I don't listen to music while doing besides like, unless it's watching a movie or like you know some other form of media and listen to music while i'm listening to a podcast yeah so um next question what three artists do your past very 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 yeah this is an interesting one for me because i don't know when i was 15 i listened to like it doesn't feel super linear for me um but i feel like the the three artists like when i was 15 the artist i listened to the most was ben folds um and then between when i was 15 and now the artist that i've listened to the most has been the mountain goats and then like last year the artist i listened to the most was vampire weekend but that that path doesn't make any sense Right, Ben folds to Mountain Goats to Vampire Weekend. Like I don't know what that what that says about me. Yeah. Other than that, I should have listened to Vampire Weekend when I was younger. But well, Vampire Weekend was very close to me when I was it was really when I was sixteen. Yeah. I was sixteen when Modern Vampires came out because I liked them before, but that was a big. That was like the year when I really started listening to music and. My first transition was definitely the Fire, which I like the first time. I was like, whoa, I love this band. So went to see them, and that also helped me get into other bands. Like, I you know, would research them and be like, oh, they were very inspired by Neil Young. So I'd be like, Neil Young, and like, you know, buy some Neil Young at record. That's really fun. And then the, so Arcade Fire was definitely a big. Um, then, I don't know, it, it's hard for me to like say the other other artists. I don't really like, move me to other things, but I think I have you know, um Bruce Springsteen is the latter end of that phase of like leading me near year mood. Um really listening to a lot of when I was diversifying a lot and listening to a lot of different things. So I think, gosh, I think Brian Eno might have to go there. I listen to a lot of people. What am I saying? Probably. Um, I'm sure 
What's your favorite smell? My favorite smell must be uh, the smell of a chocolate treat bacon in the oven. Ooh, that's a good one. I like why I was going to say cooking one. I think sauteed onions. Interesting. Yeah. Onions, onions being sauteed smell really good. Um, okay. That's fair. What's well, a, a TV movie with a great soundtrack? A movie with a great soundtrack, Cole. I gotta go with Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah, it has a great soundtrack. Is it cheating to do a movie musical? I don't think they really said. If we go in that, then I think the movie with the best uh, <laughs> uh, would be I'm Not There, which is the Bob Dylan movie. I thought you were going to say Stop Making Sense. but sense, I was also thinking of. But in terms of like the score of the movie, I was thinking, yeah. is there are a lot of scores I love. I think the one I love the most is Her. <laughs> I think it is an incredible score, yeah. Because that has the one, the, the moon, moon song or whatever, oh, right? I'm thinking of that, but like just all these other background, background songs, the uh, very like- Yeah, that makes sense. Um, it's. I love a lot of the design of that movie. How it was deliberately trying to make a future that's cold and robotic and very warm. It's about a lot. That's cool. I think if if we were talking about score, like my favorite score, I have no idea what what that would be. Like, like movie themes that I really love end up being like all by like John Williams or something like that or. Uh, Back to the Future. I think the music in Back to the Future, honestly, Back to the Future might be my pick because I think that the score and songs are all amazing in that movie. Going both off score and songs to mix, The Leftovers, I think, such a good, the score is incredible. That's, that's fair. So yeah. Great song choices as well. Yeah, that's, it did have a really, really good soundtrack and score. So, penultimate question what's your happy album and sad album so i had a lot of trouble thinking of my happy album but not a lot of trouble thinking of my sad album um but what i settled on was for happy album father of the bride because i think that's a really fun album for sad album get lonely by the mountain goats i don't listen to it when i'm that sad yeah i don't really know what to do i put Stranger in the Alps by Phoebe Bridgers. It's definitely like my sad album. Like, mm-hmm. like go through it all. I'm sad. Um, I feel like when I'm happy, I don't have a particular album. But there are just like, a lot of things I like to listen to. Or maybe I don't listen to music. Or I, I have like a fun playlist. You know what I really love is on Sunburned Shirt by Car Seat Headrest. Huh. This is incredible, like build up and the end. I think for me in a song a song has to be repetitive enough that I can get the melody that the melody sticks in my head and makes sense to me but not so repetitive that it gets boring to me I think it for me a, uh, a song kind of has to meet that sweet spot of yeah. not repetitive enough that it's boring but like not weird enough that it doesn't connect with me. Huh. It's it's like a certain a certain amount of structure. I think is mostly what I want from a song. Makes sense. 
structure. I agree. It's also like chaos. I don't know. I put down um, digital arts, which is something that comes up a lot when I listen to the LCD sound system. Songs, in my opinion, like alternate between being like the most beautiful, like hauntingly beautiful melodic song I've ever heard and like digital farts. And there's no like middle ground. It's either huh. like this beautiful digital fart here. So yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Well there you have it folks. That's that's our that's our survey responses. So now to the meat of this episode. Really, you're getting a full course meal here. That was the potatoes. Now is the meat. Yeah. Time for the big old, big old roast chicken. Yeah. It's time for our first ever installment of uh, Gavin Bow Gad. Gad. So, uh, before this episode, for me this afternoon, we watched the uh, first episode of 1600. I've never seen the show before. I watched it. I watched the whole first season when it was on. Um, and it came on in, let's see, what year was this? 2012. It, it premiered at the end of 2012, going into uh, March of 2013. Canceled after one season. I think it was half a season as well. Like it was brought on as a mid season replacement. Mm-hmm. Being retooled from single camera to multi camera. I looked this up. So they kind of did some shuffling. They moved Parks and Rec back an hour because it was so popular. They moved it to 8.30 and they put 1,600 pen in the 9.30 Thursday night. Mm-hmm. Here's, here's what I'll say about 1,600 pen. It came on at a time when I was really starting to like TV and be like, okay, what are the new shows coming on at this time? Like what? oh, there's a new show premiering, let's see what it is. And when that would happen, I would be excited when it was a single camera show. Like, I think it, it shows a higher level of budget. You know, it's not a laugh track. It's like, hey, this, this has potential to be really clever. And it had an actor, Josh Gad, who I knew had been in the Book of Mormon on Broadway. And I was like, hey, okay, this is, this is, this is set to be pretty good. And I don't remember it being bad. And honestly, I don't think that it's bad per se. But there are things about it that definitely don't really work. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's bad, more just not good. I mean, it's not bad if it's gad. That I, I'll get to later. There's one thing that I think is bad. but um, And it's not quite the gad. The gad isn't that bad. The gad... The gad is not bad. Actually, okay, totally honest. First impressions. Josh Gad is one of my least favorite parts of the show. <laughs> really? He plays the like uh, the lovable man child in a state of no you know no reference arrested development and it's degrading mm-hmm. at times. Um, I have, yeah, I. You want to go? I think we should just get into it. To yeah. be honest, first I thought I'd uh, I, I should read. I printed out some reviews of the show. Actually, I'll read them at the end. Oh, great. Okay. Good. Anyway, okay, sure. The show. So the premise of the show, the premise just before we get into what happens in the episode is that uh, this is a family who lives in the White House. Um, there's the dad, who is the president, the, the stepmom, who he has just married, um, and then all the kids are the children of the dad and his, and his widow, or his former, his wife who died. So the dad is played by Bill Pullman, who's a great actor. Um, a piece of trivia here <laughs> from both of 
Wikipedia, from Wikipedia it says, this is the second time Bill Pullman has played an American president, the first having been in the film Independence Day. However, it is the first time Pullman is playing a president with actual experience in elected office, which Whitmore did not have. So is it just roasting? Yeah, it feels like they really owned, they really owned his character in uh, Independence Day. I really searched the net for like tidbits about this show. And I, uh, the IMD trivia page is so bare. It has four things. Three of them, they're all just facts. One of them is trivia. Josh Gad, who serves as executive producer and co-creator of the series, also stars as Skip Gilchrist, the president's eldest son. So there's a fun fact. How about that? Um, but anyway, so the introductory scene introduces us. Well, the only... Wait, 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 before that, before that. Yeah. The only thing that I think is is interesting about this show that I didn't know before is that one of the um, executive producers is John Lovett from Pod Save America. I screamed when I saw his name in the titles. Um, and it shows that, like, this is a guy who was an Obama and Clinton. I had no fucking idea. He was a big Obama Clinton speechwriter. He's now married to Ronan Farrow, the one who does all the Me Too articles, like about Harvey Weinstein and his horrible Russian accents on his audiobook. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, he's like one the pod safe John. John love it. He's one of the Johns. I had no idea. And it makes a lot of sense. He's one of the Johns, um, not John Lovitz from SNL, but no. But given like yeah. It does. It does make a lot of sense. Yeah. There's a lot. Um, but All right. Yeah, we should dive into it. We should dive into it. So, which I think a main problem is that this opening is so rushed. I think it should have been the first, like, at least half of the episode rather than just the first minute. I think the actual plot of the episode should have been the Interesting. Second. That's fair. Um, but anyway, so he sets fire to a fraternity house. It's like a kind of revenge of the nerds kind of scene. Um, in, and the frat bros, he, he sets a fire into their house. Um, yeah. It, it starts to... The house looks a lot like Drinker, exactly. in my opinion. It looks like Drinker. Um, and the weird thing is, is all the frat bros start beating up Josh Gad, despite him being the president's son. Which, if I was a frat bro, I would avoid beating up the president's son. Yeah, I agree. Um, um, they don't seem to care. But then in the middle of this brawl between the nerds and the jocks, uh, secret secret service guys come and pull Josh Gad into, a, a, lim- into a, a car and take him away from the scene of the crime. And they say, the meatball is in the oven. The meatball is his code name, which he's very overjoyed to hear. You're, you're going in now. Can you hear me? Uh-oh. Yeah. The joke here is that his code name is, is... Yeah, I can hear you. I don't know why this isn't working. I'm not even on Wi-Fi anymore. I'm, it might be. I don't know. Why? Your, your screen's frozen. You go back on the Wi-Fi, see what happens. Um, the thing I found weird about meatball in the oven is I, I'm not a meatball eater, but I've always cooked meatballs on a pan, never in the oven. 
anyway, so uh, that's cool. We go into uh, maybe I'll turn off my video too. Ooh, yeah, now we're we're doing this bear. Um, just we, we can't even see each other now. So we cut to this program that they're running called uh, Let's Multiply, which seems like a pretty awful name, in my opinion, for like a pro-education. It's sad. Let's Multiply. Um, and this is why I know executive producer, John Lovett. Um, you've, 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 skipped over, you've skipped over a crucial scene, Cole. Yeah. What is it? Which bit? There's a scene for, before this where in a press briefing, a spokesman says that Gad, yeah. uh, I mean, Skip, Skip's, Gad's character is named Skip. He says that Skip will not get any preferential treatment from this incident. And he also, he also mocks him and saying he won't get any preferential treatment because most people who meet him forget that he's the president's son. It feels pretty inappropriate to me that he would mock Skip in a public press conference, but um, he does it anyway. You know, the press conference scenes were where I think the episode was the strongest. The uh, press conference guy uh, the head is called is played by Andre Holland, who's an incredible actor in my view. He's been in like Moonlight and um, oh, there's a good Soderbergh film, High Flying Bird, who's the lead in that. He's a great actor. I think he was the strongest out of the cast. Um, and the, yeah, he's he's good. He's good. I wanted to see more of him, unlike most of the other characters who I wanted to see a lot less of. I would have watched his show. Back. He was also in Castle Rock, which yeah. wasn't very good. He is also the most. Uh, the show felt like it was Veep light, and his was the most that was like realizing what made Veep funny and good. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, the daughter just gets through a bunch of the plot points till we come into. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you gotta remember, this is really before Veep was big. This is before Veep was big. Veep was, but it was still around. Um, so the, the main, mm -hmm. the plot involving the president involves, uh, as he says, a trade deal with two dozen Latin American That's probably true. And I did some research. I went on Wikipedia. And on the Wikipedia page for Latin America, it claims there are only 20 countries within Latin America. So potentially it's set in some future fictional universe where there are four new countries in Latin America. I don't know. Um, but he wants to do a trade deal with them. And this is where the most like pod save stuff comes in where it's like a trade deal is good. The president wants to get stuff done. Very like, well. I think that's right. Yeah. I think it is in a fictional, a fictional, an alternate universe. Yeah. Which is why they all worship Obama. Cause he's just trying to get things done, you know? Um, anyway, Josh Gad is allowed inside the Oval Office for some reason. Um, he has some pretty painful jokes. There's one line where he says, have you always been Asian? And he's not talking to anyone real. He's like imagining an encounter with like a fictional woman, which is kind of kind of weird. It's not a joke I'm a fan of. Um, he also wears a shirt that has a hamburger on it because, you know, that's his character, I guess. Cool. Yeah. I'll be honest, Cole. I love I love the scene with Gad in the Oval Office fantasizing. Well, I love when he I think it, I think it was pretty solid. That was some good comedy, you know, where they're like sit down and he kind of you know does that curl over the couch. It was pretty good. Um, oh, the little kid calls. Yeah. I also wrote that down as a note. 
And there was a great joke where someone says, don't scoff, it's not the Oval Scoffice. Yeah, they did do a joke about the Oval Scoffice. I, I didn't enjoy it, but they did do that joke. Yeah. Oh, so back to, there's a flashback, which I think is the best part of the episode, which I wish it was more like this kind of comedy where he's going to play a tennis game with the head of Brazil, and they say, let's not make it like last UN conference. And there's like a very quick flashback of him like injuring another world leader through sports. <laughs> with- yes, so right, he's, he's at G20 with uh, Brazil's president, De Soto, and uh, he hits him. I can't tell what, what sport they're supposed to be playing, Nicole. It was something, I don't know. It was a sport. Um, but uh, but yeah, he 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 has apparently injured Desoto in a sport formerly, and so now he needs to uh, be nice to this Brazilian president in the future, so that he will, so that the Brazilian president will convince the two dozen Latin American governments to sign the trade agreement. Right, and this is where I thought the episode is not just not good, but actually bad. In it's all the Obama isms coming through where the, ev- the villain of this episode is the president of Brazil. Who, this is 2012, 2013, mm-hmm. and Brazil was still under the left-leaning kind of Lulu, Dilma, Youssef, Youssef government, which the U.S. helped kind of overthrow-ish, and now we have the current fascist state. It is. So this is, like, it feels like a part and part right. Park and Rec app where the Venezuelans come and they're like horrible dictator people where it's a classic like libs showing left-wing governments as like evil dictators and the worst part is is that he's you know he's an evil man for trying to oppose this trade deal which all the latin american leaders secretly love because you know how trade deals are always so good for latin american countries um and it's really the evil left-wing government trying to stop it and bill Pullman is just trying to get it done you know trade deals are unambiguously good and it's a good American president tries to get things like trade deals done which is such like ugh, ideology down the throat that's such a word and also he keeps making good points like he right and and the thing about the trade deal is that the th- sorry I think the thing about the trade deal is that they're like none of the governments are opposed are opposing it for any ideological reasons. They're just opposing it because the Brazilian president who is mean to them doesn't want them to favor it. Like, the, he, he actually has no, uh, no leverage over them in any concrete way. It's just that he bullies them into not supporting it, which is interesting to me. It's, it's that he's like the strong man, which is only used for like Latin American companies, uh, companies, countries. Actually, it's not just used that, but it's a... Uh, Mm-hmm. Very much like an imperialist term um, by U.S. people. And the U.S. is the key peacekeeper in this episode. It's fundamentally good, I wrote down, you know, trying to help other countries work together. And throughout the episode, the Brazilian leader makes, like, jokes at Bill Pullman saying, like, oh, I'll beat you in tennis like, like you treated your indigenous people or, like, like your crumbling infrastructure. And, like, these are all, like, valid points about the U.S. that Bill Pullman just kind of laughs off as this crazy strong man. 
saying stuff, which is such a like, oh, it's such an Obamaism where it's like, oh, we can't fix these things. We just gotta, you know, work together, get things done without actually doing anything but sign agreements and stuff. Anyway, uh, so they play tennis. Uh, they play tennis, and the dad, I mean, the president is trying to throw the match. Um, he's trying to throw the match so that the Brazilian president will like him again because he owes him after injuring him at the G20 in whatever sport that it was. But Skip, uh, Gad, starts a chant that makes um, everyone excited about the U.S., and so then the dad wins a point because of the chant. Um, because he is a selfish man and has no ability to control his urges to win. Um, I think... USA, USA. He, he can't stop. I think this is actually one of the more realistic parts of the, the episode, that he is like a bad person who is like, you know, even though I know it's my goal not to do this, uh, you know, I might as well just win anyway. Um, uh, but, uh, but, but for some reason, Skip is blamed for it, even though it's entirely his father's weak-willed yeah. nature that makes him lose this match. I mean, win this match. Skip accidentally kind of threw a burning chair at the president of Brazil in an earlier scene, um, which is a pretty good joke. You know, it's pretty funny. Uh, it was kind of funny, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Um, but then Josh Gad, you know, feels, you know, he, he won the match and he ends up in this very unrealistically, you know, kitchen that has salad on top of, like, jelly beans. And there's another yeah. scene where the joke is that Josh Gad's fat. Uh, fun stuff. Yeah, it was, a, it, was a really, it was a really funny scene about how the stepmom is skinny and um, Josh Gad is fat. And that means they like different foods. Mm -hmm. And the stepmom's like, oh, I always like to snack and eat salad. And Josh Gad's like, yeah. I eat salad too, and he like puts some lettuce in a bowl, and then like puts jelly beans in it too, and then the scene ends where he puts whipped cream on it. And I don't know if you noticed, but the sound effect for the like whipped cream—it's one of those canned whipped creams—and the sound effect was horrifying. It was this. Yeah, it was a like it was a really weird sound effect. Definitely, Foley guy had the day off, I guess. <laughs> um. Yeah. That was odd. So the, there, there is another storyline that's going on at this point, um, which is the storyline between Skip's younger sister, Becca, and uh, their mom, their stepmom, Emily. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, they seem to have a bit of a rivalry. Uh, yeah. Becca doesn't trust Emily. Um, when their youngest two kids arrive home from school, these kids really don't need to be in the episode. There's way too much going on already. There's a lot. And this subplot is really just like, oh, we need to have the women do something. Let's have them compete. Let's establish a rivalry between the women. Right, yeah. Uh, um, there's there's the two youngest kids. One is a girl. It's like Xander and Marigold are their names. So Marigold comes in and wrestles Skip when she sees him. It shows that she's tough. The boy, Xander, says school is a fascist institution. They've been sent home from school because they were fighting. Um, now it's up to Becca and her stepmom to find out, what were they fighting about? What's the origin of this? And so now they have to compete to try to figure it out. And uh, this is not a very good plot. No. There's most of the episode. It's very much like the sea story that... Uh, I don't think we have to talk about it too much. I don't have anything interesting to say. Right. 
No, but Becca, the thing with Becca is that she is pregnant. Uh, she finds out that she's pregnant, which is a pretty big deal for the president's daughter. Um, and I remember seeing this when I first saw it and being like, oh, it's like Sarah Palin's daughter. Remember how she got pregnant. Um, and uh, yeah, it's not good though. She, there's a scene where she's talking to her stepmom and all she's hearing is pregnancy words. She's hearing her, her stepmom talk about pregnancy when she's actually just talking about normal things. It's it's not good. Yeah, she says like over. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's rough. Josh Gad rescues the trade deal by going into the meeting. It's a pretty like horribly racist scene where he's like, "Hola, me yeah. a trade agreement." If you understand what I'm, saying, pretty bad. Yeah, I I don't know why we're supposed to. Why did he walk into that meeting? I don't understand. Why was there no security? I don't know. Um, right. Why are they just allowed to roam around the house all the time and do whatever they want? Good question. Take it up with John Walker. Love it or leave it. I think I will. I'll leave it. That's actually, at the end of this episode, we should say love it or leave it into, as whether we will watch another episode of this. I would only for the podcast. I don't think I'd watch it for yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's that's the episode. Really, it, it ends with this uh, horrible scene where they compare countries uniting over a trade deal with the family uniting. Um, right. Yeah. At the end, at the end, the dad gives a press conference that has to do with the episode's themes, and it has a montage over a couple different scenes. Um, Cole, I don't know if you caught this, but when they're at the pizzeria at the end. Gad knocks over a candle and then quickly douses it with water. Um, it was really hard to tell that that happened. <laughs> I did not notice. That's... It, wow. it was supposed to relate to how he, he earlier in the episode starred in a fire safety PSA, much like Philip Reed did. Um, <laughs> and uh, so it's like he's learned his lesson kind of, I guess. I don't know. It's, it's really poorly filmed. It's kind of like in the corner of the camera. Uh, I don't really know why it happened. Becca tries to tell her dad about her pregnancy, but she chickens out. The dad talks about overcoming differences. And now here's the craziest part of the episode, Cole. Yeah. Mom finds out that Marigold, the kid, has, the, the girl has a crush on the same boy that, or on the same girl that her brother has a crush on. Crazy. It's crazy. Wow. What a, I really hope the future episodes explore middle school intrigue. And so that's what fans I, I mean... This is the only this is the only hint that it's worth having Marigold and Xander as characters, right? Like they had no purpose this entire time and now it's like, oh, they're going to have this controversial thing. She's going to like a girl. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Um and then at the end at the end it, it zooms out of this pizzeria where the family is eating and it shows a lot of security outside of it. Um like the secret service is outside, the street is closed down outside of it. Um which I don't know. I don't really know what that was meant to show us. It made it seem like it was all fake, you know? Yeah. Yep. See, if I were writing this, I think a better pilot would have separated Josh Gad from everyone else until the end and had the A-plot being like, Josh Gad gets into hijinks that result in him being kicked out of school and the B-plot is like the government stuff and Bill Pullman trying to deal with his family and the government and at the end, he has to come home and the ending is him being like, hi, Dad. And then you get into 
the hijinks. I think it would be better to have a pilot to establish those characters before you establish what the show is kind of going to be, which I'm assuming is going to be the family hijinks intersect with global political stuff. Right. Yeah, I think that's probably right. It was weird to me. You never see them asking him to move home from college, do you? Exactly. That's. I, I think it, would, it should have been more of him being like, uh, there's like one little scene which is mainly like, you've been in college seven years. Right, 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 right. Better if he had been like kicked out of college and that, and it was like a scandal or something. I don't know. Um, yeah. Okay. So I have, I have a couple questions about this and I'm curious to get your take. One question is, uh, how do you think Josh Gad is in this episode? Uh, like a, as a performance? Yeah. As a performance. Uh, I don't think he was very good. Like maybe it was just the character is badly written, but uh, he's just, I feel like he was a compilation of like a bunch of other previously existing characters like nothing new to that stereotype of like the man child goof yeah for me he reminded me a lot of homer simpson which is interesting because homer simpson is supposed to be like an older like he's a dad stereotype kind of yeah. whereas josh cat is here supposed to be playing like a college i don't really know what he's supposed to be playing like he's not like a, a nerd really he's like a loser i don't know He's been in college twice as long as he should have been, is the idea. Right. Uh, I'm like, hmm, that seems unlikely that the president's son, like, they wouldn't have just automatically let him grad, you know? <laughs> like, who would... Right, him? right. He's he's not like an, uh, a Donald Jr. Eric Trump type who is, like, clearly succeeding at, any, at everything despite not having any skills, you know? Like, he doesn't have any skills and he's failing. Like, he's a failure in every way. And I wish there was more to the son-dad stuff rather than just being, like, cliched, like, son loves his dad, you know? Yeah. There are a couple... There, I think... Okay, I'll say it. There are a couple moments when I think Gad is kind of, kind of funny in this episode. I think the part where he says... When he's in the Oval Office and he says, so much history in this room. Roosevelt, Superman. I think that's kind of funny. He's, he's recognizing the time in the Superman movie when he's in the Oval Office. Um, oh, I think... Is that the episode ends with Jay Leno of all people? They're just watching Jay Leno talk about Josh Gad. Yeah, this part is insane that they got Jay Leno to do a fake stand-up routine about what happened in the episode. He's he's the president's son, but you wouldn't know it because he's fat. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. He he does a he does a, a, a bit that is not really like it wouldn't really fly if it was an actual Jay Leno like. He talks about how the president beat DeSoto in tennis, and he's like, hey, Mr. President, you do know that the Brazil's are allies, right? I mean, you're not supposed to beat them at tennis. Is that a thing? Are there presidential tennis matches? I think it's something that Lovett cares about so much, and no one else gives a shit about. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It feels like that kind of thing. Yeah. Like, I think... Uh, okay, so people that Bloomberg appealed to with those billboards that are like, Trump cheats at golf. And the yeah. But sir, you did not get par in that. You know, I don't know. Right, right. Mr. President, sir, you must recognize you haven't followed the rules. Um, 
Okay, so what do you believe that this show wants to tell us about the media and and politics? The media are very much presented as like annoyances. Um, yeah, right. The, they're they're mean to the press secretary who is just trying his best to to help shelter the president, I guess. And it's a joke I don't think is good, but I think is delivered very well by Andrew Allen, which is when, <laughs> can we please just talk about something else and then just brings up like a important political issue or something that seems important to love it and no one answers, which is very much like a love it being like, the president's trying to, he's trying to do good things, but the press, they, they, make, they make him stop, they make him stop. Um, and it doesn't like, ugh, it translates just as this contempt for the media that I think only works because Andrew Holland is great. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. And, and I think it also kind of portrays this, this sort of relationship between the president and the media that's very, like, White House press uh, dinner. Like, it's like the, hey, you know, we might have our differences, but it's kind of wacky. Whereas, you know, there are no actual, like, they're not actually pressing the president on terrible things that he's done or anything like that. It's just like, hey, your son is embarrassing, and they're trying to kind of distract from that. Yeah, and it's this West Wing-style presidency as well where they're trying to get things done, and they're so apolitical in that politics is about, like, there's a set thing with ideas that are mainstream, and, you know, a good Republican and a good Democrat, they'll get those things done which is totally divorced from reality is something that only exists for like a couple people in like those circles, which I think was the same in the West Wing. And Veep was very different because Veep was like, these people are all opportunists and they are apolitical because they'll do anything to get ahead. Whereas the show is that there are like a set of principles you must follow that are totally divorced. You know, these are moral right and wrongs. Right. I feel like this could have, it could have done that, you know, like it could have made the trade deal into a more interesting thing, but instead it was just uh, this mean Brazilian president doesn't want the other guys to vote for it. So they're not going to because he's mean. There's no analysis of why Bill Pullman wants this trade deal. It's just right. Other than he wants it. He's a good president. Right. Anyway, uh, I have some uh, quotes from reviews. I just, you know, want to see what their contemporary reaction was like. So yeah, I, please. What's what's the what's the buzz? Tell me what's happening. Said um, sixteen hundred pen is what happens when a half-formed comedy meets needs an extra punch to make it past the pitching stage. And said punch ad, adds the suffix except it takes place in outer space slash a slaughterhouse slash an orphanage for deformed kids, or in this case, the White House. Or maybe it's what happens when a former White House speechwriter and Broadway star taking the next step crossover success talk for 13 minutes about creating the next modern family. But no matter what scenario is true, it's number two with the splash of number one. It's also what happens when network executives think it's a screeching buffoon equals laughs. Josh Gad's Skip Gilchrist is the black hole around which everything else orbits in this family comedy set in the POTUS's crib. And the character, I'm not putting Gad on the hook without seeing more in more stuff. The character is so grating, he should be used in the war on terror to flush out evildoers. Seriously, if the mines in the secret bunker underneath the Washington Monument 
figure out the way to weaponize Skip, we can level China and put Merka where it belongs, screaming under than everyone else. The general formula for Skip in 1610 is quite cute, though naivety and a finesse for, of a man with his shoelaces tied together. Sorry, though naivety, yeah. He'll nearly ruin the day before saving it with the same sense of innocence and idiocy that got him into trouble in the first place. Wrap it up with some talk about how family is important. Don't forget to throw in a few touching piano strokes so the audience knows it's sentimental and you have one of those broad comedies that NBC has been so eager to dump on our heads. Wow. Um, but pretty accurate, I think. I also have to... Yeah, that's, that's pretty scathing. Yeah, yep. But damn, uh, like the sentimental piano. That's yeah, that is it. Yeah, the, this show has the most generic ending speech that he gives, and also an extremely generic theme song. And I feel like they should have just leaned into making it like uh, irreverent. I don't know. I think uh, the New York Daily News has a good, another good quote where they say, "Skip does or says something ridiculous. He compounds it with something even more ridiculous." Everyone rolls their eyes. Things start to fall apart, and then, wham, it dissolves into a group hug, which is pretty much the first episode, in my opinion. Um, yep, no, that's true. Okay, here's, here's what I think. I think that Josh Cad can be funny, but yeah. I think this show doesn't let him be funny. I think that he right. has a capacity for, like, there's this scene where he, after the tennis match, is feeling sad and kind of... Uh, grabs the press secretary's arm to make him give him a hug. And it's not well choreographed. It's not really that clear what's happening. It's not very funny the way it's done. But it could be if it was like a little better, I think. And I think there are certain things that Gad says that if he said it maybe once in the episode, it would be funny. But like, it's just too much. It's not edited well. He's not directed well. But I think I think there's a there's a funny man in him, but uh, it's not him. I agree. So this same review I think has a great ending quote where they say, "But 1600 Pen minds none of the more subtle and satisfying possibilities of poking fun at a state institution. It's more like a drug fueled Saturday Night Live sketch that won't end. Fortunately, 1600 Pen probably will." Which, uh, and it did. They were right about that. It ended. It ended. Oh, 1600 pen. That's all I have to say about that for now. No, I think that's a good, uh, that's, that's, that's pretty much all I need to say about it. Do you think it gets better? Do I think it gets better? (laughs) I, I truly can't remember. Okay. Here's what I remember. I remember there's another episode where the president and his wife are playing poker with other people and he is making jokes and one of his jokes involves him saying muy caliente and everyone laughs at it. And later in the day, she's like, you know, they're only laughing when you say muy caliente because you're the president, right? It's not actually funny. And he, he gets very insecure about this. That's the only thing I remember that happens on this show. That's Jesus Christ. I can't, that's a plot. I mean, that's something to look forward to if I, if there ever was anything, I mean, right. Come on. That sounds funny. Be honest. It does sound funny. Yeah. I, I don't know why I can't remember anything else. that ha- What happens with her pregnancy? What happens? Does Skip cause more hijinks? I assume he does. But um, uh, I would, I, I stand by, I would watch his show about the press secretary. I think that, about just Andre Holland's character? Yeah, I mean, but it, it focuses around him. I think if he were, like I would watch something about him. 
he's the most watchable and his scenes I think are the most not interesting but like they work I understand what the scene is going for and it achieves that yeah right I mean he seems like a sympathetic character he's not annoying to watch he's like a good actor and a good looking person and he's like charming and he's like uh you know just trying to uh, trying to get through this day with this, all these annoying journalists asking me questions. Well, he's the only one I felt like, oh, this is a character rather than you're an actor in a sitcom playing right. the president's child. Yeah. He felt like fully formed and that he'd like thought a lot about the character and was making some interesting choices. Like, I think it was a good performance. Yeah, I liked the part where he had to step in to stop the, the stepmom from telling a kid to shove a trophy up their dad's ass yeah no i i think it would work as like a dysfunctional white house and that he's the like straight man trying to keep it all together (laughs) i think works really well but they just didn't give enough time to do that you know (laughs) nope oh well well i mean that's 1600 pen for you 1600 pen (laughs) that's all there is to say really i think that's probably all there is to say Um, all right what do you say we, we wrap up this pod with the Ethan you, you, you ranking a certain scale? Yeah, yeah, sounds good. I also have what some are, articles that aren't here to talk about later. Yeah. You have some what? News articles that I bleeped out some of the words. Oh, shit. But should we do that instead? Scale, scale. Okay, this will be fast. So this is a new segment. What did I call it in the spreadsheet? Do you have that? Uh, Ethan presents rank this list. Yeah, this is called Ethan Presents Rank This List. Okay, so I'm going to list four things, and you have to rank them from what you think is probably the best to what you think is probably the worst. So these are called Heinz Flavor Mashups. These are four sauces created by Heinz. There's Cranch, which is ketchup and ranch. There's Mayo Chup, which is mayonnaise and ketchup. There's Mayo Q, which is mayonnaise and barbecue. And there's Mayo Must, which is mayonnaise and mustard. Um, okay, so there's cranch, which is ketchup and ranch. Uh-huh. So ketchup and ranch. Um, then there's, let me, let me remember, there's, there's the barbecue and mayo one. There's the... Mayo-Q. And mayo. And then there's, what, ketchup and mayo? Yep. God, I, I think, God, this is hard. I'm not a big fan of most of these sauces. I think mayo-Q, the mustard one sounds the best the mustard one mayo must because that just sounds to me like smoother mustard you know i think okay is the most interesting of those sauces i think it's got a good flavor mm-hmm. and a subtlety that the others don't and yeah so i would go with that um as the top for me mayo must is at the bottom of my list because i'm not a mustard man interesting oh god i'm not a ranch man but i think Cranch sounds interesting enough that I want to try it at least. It sounds kind of disgusting. So there's barbecue mayo? Yeah. That's mayo Q. Not that. Because I really like sriracha mayo. And obviously it's very different. But I think having something with a little uh, smoky flavor would be kind of good. Yeah, I agree. I think mayo can be good when it's like a little flavored and not too much. No, I definitely agree. For me, I think it's mayo chup at the top, mayonnaise and ketchup, yeah. then mayo q, which is mayonnaise barbecue, then cranch, then mayo must. I think I would put mayo, the last one, 
of yours at the top and then keep the same order. Yeah, I think that I think that makes sense. All right, you ranked that list, Cole. I did. Okay, so do you want to hear? Yeah, please. This is from the New York Times. The woman's the sorry the women's blank at blank is named for my grandmother. She would not be proud. That is, the women's blank at blank is named for my grandmother. She would not be proud. And I'm, I'm trying to guess what goes in those blanks to make it a headline that happened today. Yep. The women's blank at blank is named after my grandmother. She would not be... I have no fucking clue. What is it? Times op-ed piece, op opinion piece from a few days ago. The women's blank at blank is named for my grandmother. She would not be proud. So think of things you wouldn't be proud to have your name on, maybe. The women's... I don't know. I think I'm gonna need, I think I'm gonna need the answer on this without even guessing. Is the women's jail at Rikers Island is named for my grandmother. Oh shit. I would not be proud. What did she think it was gonna be? It's, it's a jail. I don't know. No, I think they just put her name on it. Um, oh, I see. Uh, the rest are actually they're not that interesting, really. Um, ooh, ooh, massive horde of blank escapes runs amok in California neighborhood. Oh, 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 oh! I think I saw this. Goats. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. sounds great. Yeah, that sounds great. Can yeah. you imagine looking out your window and there's goats rampaging everywhere? I'm so excited by that. You know the other month i guess when i was in philly i was walking down a street and there's a lot of trash out trash schedules kind of fluctuating um and i saw three of the largest dogs i've ever seen they look more like wolves kind of like feral dogs just kind of eating trash and walking along and it's crazy wow nature is that is crazy nature is really healing we're the virum um, so final thing on your list, really, uh, is uh, Percy Jackson talk. I only found out of this through someone tweeting about it today, but yes, they're they're coming out with a Percy Jackson TV show on Disney Plus. The other week, um, Rick Ryan tweeted something. He like tweeted something like some really cool like pro trans message that was like, oh, ask me why like I put a trans character in my book. You know, if you say it like is like at it you know what, what's the thing they say where it's like oh why do you put a like person of color in there? or black it like i don't know it takes it feels like forced diversity right that it's forced diversity yeah Aaron was like it says a lot more about you than the book especially if you're talking to me about like gender issues in norse mythology you should read yeah he, he basically showed himself to be the chad to jk rowling's virgin um that's cool good for him I was looking up his like his Wikipedia page, and like seeing his opinions on stuff, and you know he's done a lot of good things, and he like was supposed to be honored at some like Texas like event, and then like dropped out because there was like a representative who was supposed to who was hosting it who had said something like homophobic just then, or it seemed pretty cool. Oh, um, and he talked cool. about like adaptations, and he was like, "Yeah, I was thinking about Disney Plus, but you know, no no word on that yet." And that was from like a few months ago, and then today. You know? Yeah. That's awesome. He seemed, they posted a little video of him and his wife, maybe? I don't know. They seemed really excited. He did a little fist pump about the fact that Disney Plus has picked it up. I, I didn't know that you, uh, if you were a, a 
Percy Jackson fan, but uh, I really enjoyed it back in yeah, what middle they, school or so. Um, they were my favorite. I, I I will say I'm hesitant until they release the writers announced to it. Yeah, that's fair. The like production team, but I I have hope. I think the movie failed on a bunch of levels because it was trying to be something it was not. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting. They've they've like shared. He's shared like letters that he sent to the filmmakers, being like, "Please don't do this. This doesn't make any sense. Like the readers will hate it if you do this." And they did it anyway, and it sucked. So they still made a sequel. <laughs> Yeah, they did make a sequel. I never watched the sequel. No, I haven't, but the, the thing I think was good in the sequel was in the original movie, uh, Chiron was played by Pierce Brosnan, which is a yes. of casting, presumably meant to like bring parents into it. Like, right. like oh, Pierce Brosnan's, you yeah. know, every parent is a Pierce Brosnan fan. They're like, yeah, no, they love Pierce. Pierce is in this? Great, we gotta go see it. Uh, Mommy and two Pierce? Oh, great. Um, and they replaced him with Anthony Head, who plays Giles on Buffy, and is also Merlin, who's like a natural pig. Like they should have gone. I guess he's not as big a name. He's. A huh. I didn't know they recast him in the second one. That's. I only saw the trailer, and I was like, "Oh, this is a much better choice." <laughs> like Giles, <laughs> much better Chiron than. I I don't think he was a good James Bond. Yeah, that's interesting, huh? Yeah, it's, uh, well, you know who was in those movies? It's Logan Lerman, friend of the pod. A friend of Perks of Being a Wallflower. Yeah. Wow. What a guy. Uh, is that enough to make Allison listen to this? Talk about listen, to us, listen to us talking for like an, an hour and a half about... Uh, <laughs> True. Well, the Allison part 1600 is the best for the last, which is that we love Allison and all our friends. and We do love that all. All of our friends, I would say. On finishing school, you deserve to finish it. Uh, yeah, you deserved to finish it in a much better way. You did. You really didn't deserve coronavirus. Um, no. Bad one. Uh, that bad, sucks. Bad move, COVID. But you're done with it now, Allison. You've made it through. I'm proud of you. Now you... more. How how long is law school? Um. I don't know, two years, four years? Wow. Only two to four years? I have no idea. What is it? I don't know. Is it more than that? Is it six? Oh, that's so many years. I know. I have no clue. I have no fucking idea. Is it two years and then you become some kind of like junior law, junior lawyer or something and that counts as a couple more years? You could say any amount of years and I'd believe you. Twelve years, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Wow, that's really weird that I have no idea what the answer is. But um, it really varies as well. Because don't you have to pass the bar? And is that like a you graduated law school, you pass the bar? Or is that separate from like? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna look it up. Yeah. How many years is law school? Law school programs are typically three years. Oh, three years. Well, Allison, you're ha- you're more than halfway through. Yeah, and if you talk about schooling in general, you're near the end. Yeah, you're way near the end. That's awesome. Yeah. What's the letters of law school? It's not like a in law. Um. Yeah, that's a good question. Law degree name. Um. A JD, Juris Doctor or Doctor of Jurisprudence, is a graduate level professional degree in law. How about that? Why is JD from Scrubs? 
yeah, it's uh, it's named after him, I think. Oh, cool. Or you can you can also get a PhD. Ooh, it's exciting. Yeah. I'm an expert. JD classic. <laughs> well, we officially gabbed about gab. Gab the gab. There's nothing left to gab. From, for well, the, there's a there's a lot more episodes lot to come. <laughs> gab has a gab. <laughs> Gad has a long body of work to gab about. Oh yeah, there's a lot. I mean, once we get to Frozen, that's going to be several episodes. Yeah, no, the fr- and Frozen Two I can't wait to see, and Olaf's Adventure or whatever it's called. Yeah, I didn't watch that. Neither. Um, you should. I guess we should. Gab and the Gad. <laughs> All right. Uh, All right. This has been long enough, don't you think? Yep. yep. <laughs> Well, if you release it on the premium podcast thing, you can listen to it. Which is how I listen to podcasts. So that's true. Or at least like scan through and have it pick up where where you left off. Goodbye. All right, it's been fun. Thank you.